Hey, good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity. My name is Mike Curtis and I get the honor of serving our South Naperville location. Also, I have a double honor today because I get to launch this new series that we're doing uh, this beginning this morning called God's Promises. And coming right out of Easter week, we thought it would really be helpful to all of us as a church and to all of us listening to the sounds of our voices uh, to remember God's promises and how much God is there with us during this special season that we're experiencing through the coronavirus. If you're a guest with us today, a special welcome to you. We hope that you will find your interaction with Trinity helpful and encouraging. And if you're a longtime Trinity attender or a new Trinity attender, we hope that these services will also be an encouragement to you and help your faith to grow. Well, as I said a minute ago, we're going to start this series today called God's Promises. And particularly for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on three promises of God. Today, we're going to take a look at God promising never to leave us nor forsake us. And hopefully that'll be an encouragement to us as we are experiencing maybe some loneliness and separation during the quarantine. But then next week and the following week, we're also going to be looking at how God promises to be a very present help for us and that God is making all things new. Now, maybe you don't feel like God is making all things new right now. Maybe this is a season of doubt and uncertainty for you like it is for so many. But our hope is by the end of the series, you will have a solid foundation for trusting in the promises of God and that this will be not only a source of encouragement for you, but for those that you care about and those who are in your sphere of influence. Well, let's do this. Let's take a look at the story of Joshua. And before we do that, Let's just stop and pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to take a look at the power of your promises. You are a great God. And today we worship you and we thank you for being with us, for making all things new, and for being a very present help in our times of need. God, this is a time of need for so many people. And so, God, we ask that you would take the word that is shared here today from you through us, and you would use it uh, to encourage someone else who needs encouragement today, that you would inspire us to share the word uh, in new ways and in unorthodox ways as we meet online uh, during this very special and unique season and opportunity. So, God, come and be with us now in the word um, and just speak to each of our hearts exactly where we are as you're so good at doing. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. The story of Joshua is so unique and I love it for so many different reasons, mainly because Joshua is the perfect example of a leader rising up and answering the call into new leadership. Now, if you look at the first five books of the Bible, uh, those books called the Pentateuch that tell the story of the beginnings of all life on earth and human life, and then also along the way, the development of the people of Israel. You see the story of Israel ending up in captivity in Egypt and then being led out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses to where? Well, to the promised land, right? And so as the story goes in those first five books of the Bible, as the story goes, Israel finds itself on the outskirts of the promised land of Canaan. And in one instance, they find themselves right on the edge of experiencing God's promise to them 
that they would inherit this land. And yet in that moment, they choose not to go into the promised land. Now at that point, Joshua is not in charge. Moses is in charge. But because Israel has said, we're not going to go into the promised land, we look out over the promised land and we see um, these enemy armies that we're going to have to conquer and see all this hard work that we're going to have to do in order to participate in God's promise, we are deciding not to go into the promised land. And in fact, God says, okay, have it your way. And he lets a generation of Israelites grow old and pass away before they actually end up entering into the promised land. Not only that, but their leader, Moses, who's been so faithful all the way through, makes a mistake, takes action on his own accord, and decides to strike the rock that was supposed to produce miraculous water with his staff, instead of allowing the word of God to pass through his lips and command the rock to give water. The consequence of that, and you may know, is that Moses was not going to take the people into the promised land after all. So that's exactly where we end up. At the end of the Pentateuch and going into the book of Joshua, the sixth book there in the Old Testament. And the scene that we're dropping in on is where Joshua is being set apart. He's being initiated into leadership in Israel. And I want to share with you again the scripture that we've read this morning just in little bits and pieces so we can kind of zoom in and take a look at exactly what God intends to accomplish through the story of Joshua leading Israel to the promised land. Joshua 1, chapter 1, and by the way, if you're following along in the scriptures, um, I'm using the NIV version, but I'd welcome you to use any version that you have in front of you, whether it be through a device or a good old-fashioned Bible. Here's what the scripture says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, what, us, what I want us to do is, is take a moment and just focus in on the idea of promise. We've got this series, we've got three weeks to explore, so let's talk about what a promise is. Now, God's promise is something that comes from God to us, but is not an agreement. God's promise is not a mutual agreement or a contract. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever you want to try to understand a concept a little more clearly, take a look at its opposite. Now, just some weeks ago, we had this thing called a handshake. Do you remember that? We used to shake each other's hands to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, first of all, it was to communicate mutual respect and friendship. And then maybe it was to sign a contract or enter into an agreement. Or maybe it was just for fun if we met a stranger and exchanged names for the first time. But then coronavirus hit, COVID-19 came along and changed the landscape for us interpersonally. In fact, I remember the Sunday at South Naperville where we said to our congregation, we are no longer doing hugs and handshakes. Today, we're going to do the elbow bump. And it was weird and corny to, to try the elbow bump. But then after the elbow bump, we found ourselves not meeting in live worship anymore and separated from each other in our homes. Then we found ourselves trying worship online, which is where we find ourselves today. And in fact, when we come out of the backside of this season, we don't really know what the handshake or the personal greeting is going to look like anymore, do we? 
Now, maybe after some time passes, we'll go back to the handshake. We don't know. But maybe it looks like this. Over in Asia, they're developing the foot shake. You ever tried the foot shake before? It's kind of weird, like dancing a jig, but with a purpose. But the idea is this. You enter into this exchange, and, and there's a mutuality to it. There is a mutual respect. There's a communication of congeniality between you when you enter into a handshake, an elbow bump, or a foot shake, as it were. That's not what's happening here. Let me share with you a little bit more. The idea is this, that God is making a promise in a unilateral way. God is not expecting mutuality in this exchange with Joshua. And the reason is, is because God's promises are larger than your life. God's promises are larger than the span of just your life and mine. In fact, God's promises span multiple generations across time. They outlast us. There is a bigger story, a bigger series of events that occur through God's promises that happen simply outside of not being a mutual contract or agreement. This is something that God gives us and we simply receive it. You know, if you look at the full breadth of the scripture from the beginning to the end, the whole thing is about Jesus, which ultimately, you know, is, is, is pretty obvious that when God talks about how he interacts with humanity, if you look at the entire breadth of the scripture, you see that he intends to save as many as possible. That's why we have the concept of the Messiah. So you could say the entire Bible, the entire narrative of scripture is about one person. And that's Jesus, isn't it? We understand that through Jesus... Jesus took care of the requirements before God for righteousness that you and I need in order to be in a relationship with God. At the same time, we understand that when God makes promises to us, those promises move in one direction and they span numbers of lives and even generations in order to accomplish a purpose. Now look at what God says in that promise that he's carrying over from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then down through Moses into the life of Joshua. This is what Joshua 1.4 says. Your territory, the territory of the Israelites, will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... I will be with you. And here's the key phrase for today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you just say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, what I love about this interchange, this promise of God being passed on through generations down to Joshua, is that God is very specific with his promises, isn't he? He reminds Joshua that the promise that was given through those forefathers all the way down through Moses has very specific boundaries around it. This is the promised land marked by these boundaries. And whenever Israel, whenever you set foot inside those boundaries, you will claim that land as your own, not by your own power, but how? By the power of God's promise. And then when that happens, God will be with you. Now, this was the mistake that Israel made before. God was never not going to be with Israel. 
But in that moment, a generation before, when Israel stood on the edge of Canaan, looking over and decided not to enter in, in that moment, they forgot the promise of God, that God was going to be with them, that God was going to walk with them, that God was going to go to war with them, that God was going to create peace in that land so that they could live and inherit the full breadth and full power of his promise. They forgot about that. They forgot this idea that God's promise chiefly is his presence with you and me. God's promise chiefly is his presence with you and me. God is with us. Does that remind you of another name? Emmanuel, God is with us. The name of Jesus has prophesied from old. Yeah, that's purposeful because God always intends through Jesus to be with us. And in fact, he makes good on that promise, remember, as a unilateral statement, I will be with you. Now, what does that even look like, that God is with us? I want you to think about babies for a minute. When babies are born and they come into our life, you know, no matter whether we have children of our own or we've been around other people's children, how do babies come into the world? Babies come into the world with an entire set of needs, and those needs have to be met by their parents and their caregivers, right? From the basics of fooding, uh, eating food, and um, changing diapers, and, um, and having security, and nurture, and warmth, and a place to rest, to lay their heads. This is the way God interacts with us when we're first coming into his family, into his kingdom. He reassures us and teaches us the idea that he is there for us with the basics. He gives us the opportunity to work and make money. He gives us the opportunity to own homes, to have families, to be a part of communities. God teaches us the basics of how he does that in our lives as we grow right into the beginnings of our first steps in the kingdom. But then he doesn't leave us there. As we mature in the faith, God sees us taking steps of independence. He moves from reassuring us of the basics in life to when we start to explore wisdom and make decisions and have values. God holds us and nurtures us and reassures us when we fall. And then when we get back up again, he puts us on our feet and starts us back on the path following Jesus again. And then as we grow into our teenage years in the faith, and begin to explore becoming independent and maybe even pushing back on the faith and telling God, you know, God, I really don't want you to drive that much of my life after all. God hangs back as a loving parent of a teenager and allows that person to explore the boundaries of his or her faith. And when that person falls flat on his or her face, who is there to help them recover? God is. This is what it means to have God's presence in your life. No matter where you are, no matter what your growth pattern is, no matter where you are in the stage of your development of growth, you're gonna find yourself in little edges of the promised land where God will call you forward and to take a step and grow. And when he does that, he promises to go with you, to take the step with you. In fact, he promises to even lay a path before you to be present with you, to have your back. He promises to grow you so that you can turn into the light 
of Christ in the world so that you can be a conduit for the light of Jesus coming into the dark world of someone else who doesn't know and understand the promises of God. You know, thinking about um, our fearless leader, Joshua, standing on the edge of the promised land, remembering when that last generation said no to going in with God's promises, standing there, I bet he was probably afraid of the same things they were 40 years before when that opportunity came up. Maybe like you and me, standing on the edge of the unknown, there's some fear there. There's some trepidation. There is a question. There's a temptation. Is God going to make good on his promise to be with me when I step forward? You know, it's interesting. That's why at the end of this passage, one of my favorite passages of scripture um, all the way through is this banner phrase where God says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land who swore. God swore. Remember the promise? You will inherit this land that I swore, says God, to the ancestors who came before you. But it's interesting here, even in light of the fact that it's a unilateral statement, I'm giving you the promised land. God calls us to response. And that response literally looks like strength and courage. Well, let me ask you a question. Knowing what you know so far, where do you think that strength and courage comes from? For us, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. God gives us the strength we need. God gives us the courage to take the steps we cannot take on our own power. And in fact, the only thing that holds us back is the same thing that held Israel back the first time they approached the promised land. Their hands were bound. Their hearts were bound. Their lives were bound by fear. Fear is what kept them away from inheriting the full power of the promise of God. And yet here Joshua stands in the very same situation, given the opportunity to turn to fear. Instead, he hears the creative, redemptive voice of God, which says to him, be strong and courageous. You see, the idea is this. It really just goes right to the point right here. The fulfillment of God's promises call you and me to courageous participation. God doesn't allow us to just sit on the sidelines of life and watch his promises come true. God intends for us to see his promises begin and then for us to jump on the coattails of those promises and ride them all the way to the promises fulfillment. He intends to see our faith grow. He intends to see us change and trust him more. He intends to see us follow him into the unknown. He intends to see us face fear like we've never done before. Look, I don't know where you are today. I don't know whether you still have your job or not if you were working before COVID-19. I don't know where you are with your family, if all your family members are healthy or not, if you've got anyone in the hospital. I don't know if you know of anybody who's in the hospital and is alone and doesn't have anybody around them. Wherever you might be today, hear the sound of God's voice when he speaks his creative and redemptive power. He says, I will be with you. And that is not 
an invitation for you to try to be strong and courageous on your own power. That is not a mutual statement of congeniality. It is a statement of fact. God says, I will be with you. And then he calls us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be strong and courageous. You know, um, I love uh, ancient history and particularly there's a story of uh, the Spartan army, and you may know this story from Thermopylae. The Spartan army kind of found themselves on the cusp of a war with a huge army, the Persian army, which some historians say, and this is back in 480 BC, give or take, some historians say that that Persian army that was getting ready to invade Greece had something like a million soldiers in it. And so the Spartans under Leonidas gathered 300 of their best warriors and went to a place called the Hot Gates. That's what Thermopylae means, Hot Gates. The Hot Gates were this huge natural structure that was something like 300 feet wide at its widest. And so what happened was, is as the Persian army landed on the shores of Greece and began to proceed to take over the country, this small army of 300 Spartans, along with what we think are a few thousand, maybe uh, Greek allies, bottlenecked themselves inside the hot gates to defend their country. And while ultimately a traitor led the Persian army around the hot gates and the Spartans and their allies were ultimately defeated, they would have had no hope had there not been that narrow structure of the hot gates standing there. What I love about this story is that there were six different wars or six different battles, I should say, called the Battle of Thermopylae. And in fact, the last one was waged in 1941 as a part of World War II. There was a, a, a group of soldiers, both Australians and uh, New Zealand soldiers got together and defended the hot gates once again from the advancing German army. Just one company of them together did this so the rest of them could retreat to safety. And while ultimately they all did retreat, they were able to retreat because they defended against the German army, the juggernaut of the German army, through the hot gates, through this narrow place. Well, you probably know where I'm going next with this. The next thing I thought of with this idea was what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says these words. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You know, if you get a chance to look up this language, the original language that this translation came from actually has a little different slant around the words leads and find and enter. It's more like, is leading to destruction, and many are entering through it, the broad road, the broad gate, and is leading to life, and many are, or few are finding it, the narrow road and the narrow gate. You know, this idea is that we live in a season of opportunity, and the opportunity is to walk the narrow road toward the narrow gate, you know, I, I love this translation, or rather paraphrase, by Eugene Peterson. It's of the same verses. Maybe this will be an encouragement to you. Let me read this for you as well. This is Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. 
He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Look at this. It says, don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God himself, is vigorous and requires total attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't give that much attention to the narrow way and to the narrow gate that God calls us into, each of us, you and me. Thankfully, we have one who did, and his name is Jesus. So many people feel like they need to save themselves during a time such as this. We know that God saves us through Jesus. And not only does he save our souls one day for heaven, but he saves our souls as, as in such a way as to be with us and experience life as we do. So God would say to us this morning and every day hereafter, walk the narrow way, walk to the narrow gate, because that is a person, that is Jesus. He has done what it takes in order to take away all our fear and to reassure us that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that God will always be with us. And no matter what comes against us, even if it feels overwhelming and the numbers just don't work anymore, that God will be there to defend, to surround, and to care, to speak life, and to engage our hearts in a way that we cannot on our own build strength and courage. I'd ask you to uh, fold your hands, close your eyes, right where you are, and just pray with me and receive this word with me today. Dear God, thank you so much for strength and courage. Thank you for the gift of that, that it comes from you. And that in that strength and courage, you call me to respond to your great and precious promises. God, I know that I receive from you today a promise that you will never leave nor forsake me. And those others of us who believe in Jesus and trust in him wholeheartedly, following him on that narrow road toward the narrow gate of life. God, I ask that you take this message and the truth of it as you place it in me and share it with someone else who's on that broad path. Help that someone else to know that you have done what it takes for us to inherit all the full power of your great and precious promises. In your name we pray and together we say, Amen and amen.